0: Good evening. Well, my name is Brandon. Um, as he said, we are in a series um, in Colossians where we uh, are learning how to live in light of Christ. And so let's get started. Uh, I am a uh, married man. Uh, I lost my wedding ring a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago. I'm still married. Didn't change a thing, right? Uh, yes, ladies, I am going to get another one. I just haven't done it yet, okay? As a married man, uh, as a married man, I am to pursue my wife. And part of pursuing my wife means I resist the temptations of other women, right? This is not complex marital ethics, right? To pursue my wife means I don't date other women. Not complicated. Uh, And uh, this is true of any relationship, right? Part of uh, pursuing intimacy in any relationship includes Uh, a level of resisting what's outside of that relationship. And so week one, uh, we said that if we don't actively uh, pursue Jesus, we will passively drift from Jesus. Uh, And today our text is going to say that part of actively pursuing is to resist. It is to resist. The question is, what do we resist? And so uh, let's get started and find out. Uh, We have a a lot of text today, Um, so this is going to be a bit of a helicopter ride up over it, and the reason that we did that is because this is uh, one unit of thought where he's going to have this statement, and then he's got this theological section, and then he's going to come uh, and pick back up with some really practical stuff at the end, and it would have been uh, unnatural to break it up. It just makes for a difficult sermon, uh, so let's get going. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. All right, so you, uh, you have received Christ. And so as you received Christ, now walk in Him, rooted, built up, strengthened, abounding in thanksgiving. And so what does it mean? What does it look like to walk in Him? Verse 8, see to it, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so, see to it. This is what it, now that you've received Christ, see to it that you're not taken captive. And to be taken captive, the word, it, um, it, it's, it's the word rob. See that no one robs you. See that no one comes in and steals from you, robs you. Um, see that you're not robbed. And robbed by what? By philosophy and empty deceit from human tradition, not from Christ. Now, in the time that this was written, uh, philosophy then was simply a broad bucket term for any moral or religious system, Uh, any any moral or religious system. And Paul is saying, hey, there's there's a way of seeing the world that comes from Christ, and there's a way of seeing the world that comes from man. And later on in our text, Paul's going to call the way of seeing the world that comes from man, self-made religion. And so let me define the word religion as Paul is using it here in, uh, in this book, in this passage. Um, religion is any way, any system where we live to earn the acceptance of God instead of living from the acceptance of God. So the way that Paul uses the word religion, the way that I'll be using the, religi- the, the word religion the rest of the sermon is this. Um, any way of living that is living to earn the acceptance of God instead of living from the acceptance of God. And so uh, what happened was there were some men who showed up. Uh, this church was started, and then it was really only a few years old. It was really, we just had our sixth birthday, and so it wasn't, it wasn't much older than we are right now, uh, roughly, we think. And some men showed up, and they were saying, hey, listen, um, here, here's the deal. They, they were teaching a quasi-Christianity. It, it was, yeah, you know, like you've got to believe in Christ. Like you, you want uh, an intimate relationship with God. You've got to believe in Christ. That's really important. But here's the deal. It's not quite enough. Like, you need Christ, but you need Christ plus these things. And so they were adding on uh, what was called um, human tradition, philosophy, empty deceit, or religion. They were tagging some religious activity on to Jesus. They were saying, it is certainly possible to have that kind of um, acceptance from God that you're looking for, uh, and it comes from Christ plus these things. you got to supplement Christ. And the reality, though... Um, is that Christ plus is like Amanda plus my wife's name is Amanda Christ plus is like Amanda plus so if I um, looked at you and I was like hey ladies um, ladies I man I love my wife I really really do um, dudes you gotta understand like I'm I am in that is my girl I love my wife but I mean I'm not faithful right I'm, I mean I' obviously I did a few women on the side Um How much do I love my wife? Here's what I'm functionally saying. I'm functionally saying my wife is not enough. Amanda Plus is functionally saying my wife is not enough. And anytime you add a religion to Christ and you say Christ Plus, you're saying uh, that Christ is not enough. And so any add-on to Amanda robs my marriage. Any add-on to Christ robs that relationship as well. But what does it rob it of specifically Let's keep reading verse 9. And this is where he turns and he gets theological on us. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you, you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. You want to know what the central driving theme of the book of Colossians is? Here it is. And it's a statement that I wouldn't dare to say I understand. Like this is one of those text right here. Fullness of deity dwells in him, and you have been filled in him. Fullness, filled, same word. One's a noun, one's a verb. Like, this is one of those little statements in the Bible that when I'm sitting there at 6 a.m., my little white table, coffee, um, Bible open, and I'm reading, and I hit it. It's like, I can't possibly, it is far too glorious for me to possibly understand what is actually being said here in its fullness and so i'm going to lean on some theologians who who would say we know it's at least this we know it's at least this that in christ you have everything you need you have the life of christ filled in you you have everything in christ you need to follow christ jesus doesn't need add-ons he doesn't need any add-ons He doesn't need you to add on to what he did to make up the gap. He doesn't need add-ons. You have everything you need to follow Jesus. That religion is an external add-on. When God has always been after the hearts of his people. He has never been after external conformity. He has always been after the hearts of his people, which is where he goes now. Verse 11. In him, in him, also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Pause. We've got to be on the same page. Circumcision in the Old Testament uh, was the cutting off, and it was how you knew that someone was part of Israel. But here's the deal. He's not writing to Jews here. Do you see what he just said? You've been circumcised. And he's not writing to Jews. He's writing predominantly to Gentile Christians. And he's saying, hey, you, you've been circumcised. Not, not the, the kind where they cut the skin off, but you've been circumcised spiritually. There's a spiritual circumcision that's happened to you. How? By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Here's what just happened. He just said, hey, you you Gentiles, you, you were circumcised. Do you know that? You, you, were, you were circumcised. But, but not the one with hands. You were circumcised by the circumcision of Christ. That, that one in which you were baptized with him in. You see, circumcision, uh, at, at its heart, at its core, um, it, it wasn't simply an identifying marker for the nation of Israel. It, it certainly was. It certainly was a physical um, identifying marker that I belonged to Israel, but it was much more than that. It was much more much more than that. It was an arrow. It was a marker. It was a sign pointing to something far greater. It was a physical sign of an inward reality. And so when we say circumcision is a sign over here, here's what we mean. If you're driving from Dallas to Houston, because you would not go north on purpose, if you're driving from Dallas to Houston, uh, and you see, I'm just kidding, I lived there for eight years, it's a great city, the winter is better there than here, whatever. Um, and you see Houston 83 miles that sign says hey Houston this way 83 miles circumcision is a sign that says hey hey listen Christ over here it was an arrow to the cross where Jesus would be cut off and that you would have this circumcision of the heart which was always the point which is why Deuteronomy 10:16 says this this is back at the beginning of the Bible circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. See, circumcision was never simply meant to be an external sign. That from the beginning of the Bible on, what God wanted was for his people to live from the inside out. He he wanted their hearts. He wanted the hearts of his people. He wanted the hearts of the Israelites. He wants the hearts of the church. And he wants you to live from a transformed heart. He doesn't want you to put some um, religious externals, some add-ons to, to Jesus that you think that if you impose them on you, it will change your heart. That's not how it works. He wants your heart changed from there you live, from the inside out. But here's the reality, right? Because one is living from the acceptance of God, one is living for the acceptance of God. And here's the challenge. It's, it's difficult, is it not? To know. like, Am, am I living outside in, inside out? Uh, how, how do I know? Well, Our hearts are deceitful. And so uh, I want to give a couple of diagnostic questions that I think, I hope, are helpful. Um, And I want you to think about them. Not right now. I want you to listen to the sermon. But after we're done, I want you to think about them. Question one. Question one. Do you have more grace for other people than you do yourself? Do you have more grace for other people than you do yourself? Or question two. Do you have more grace for yourself than you do other people? Do you have more grace for yourself than you do other people? See, here's the question. Do you have an imbalance of grace? Like, do you have an imbalance of grace? Like, if you have an imbalance of grace, it's almost always, almost always, because you're living from the outside in. You, you have uh, these expectations that you have placed on yourself and on the people around you that they can't live up to. Almost always. And so when you've been taken captive by religion, it robs you of Christ's life in you. You end up living outside in. This was the story of Israel and it was the story of our lives. And so God entered that story. Verse 13. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. means you're still in the stubbornness of your heart, that you're still resisting God. You're still fighting back. God, God made alive together with Him. God made alive together with Him, having forgiven all our trespasses. Listen, May of 2000, I was going about my happy little way. I wasn't interested, I wasn't looking, I wasn't curious. All of a sudden, these weird Christians showed up in my life, and all of a sudden, a few months later, I'm on my bed, and I'm crying out. If this is real, I'm in. And in that moment, this is what happened. I did not go from irreligious to religious. I went from death to life. That's what was happening. When you believed you didn't go irreligious religious, you went from death to life. You were made alive that you might have the fullness of him in you. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Another statement in the Bible that I wouldn't pretend to grasp. De- demonic, just put to shame by triumphing over them in him. See, here's what the cross says. The cross says this, that you have a debt to pay and all your religious activity you know can't pay the debt off. And so Jesus stepped in, he went to the cross and he paid it on your behalf, paid it full, paid it in all, and religion says no, he didn't. Religion says, no, man, no, no, we didn't. Like like these Jesus plus, Christ plus, these add-ons, it's saying, hey, listen, you owed 10 grand, Jesus paid eight to get you most of the way there in case you don't have the best job in the world, now you can pay the rest off. You owe two, if you can pay that, you're in. That's, no, Jesus paid it all. And religion says, no, he didn't. So Paul, knowing that our default is the desire to control our circumstances and our outcomes, which, by the way, like who who doesn't love religion? Like the idea uh, of religion, right? Who, who doesn't love the idea that if I do X, Y, and Z, I will know my future? Like I can control my destiny. Like who doesn't love that? Like who doesn't love as a seven-year-old when your parents say, you can be anything you put your mind to? Lie, by the way. Like this is just the same thing brought to religion. You can have the acceptance you're looking for if you just do these things. If you just put your mind to it, you can have it. Lie. Paul, knowing that now, he gives three uh, religious warnings, three things to say, hey, listen, be on guard against these things. The first one is legalism. I'll explain them as we go. Warning number one, legalism, verse 16. "Therefore, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so these guys were showing up and they were saying, hey, listen, um, Christians, certainly Christ is involved. Like you want acceptance from God, this is good. You, you've got to be with Christ, but uh, you, you've, you've got to still follow um, the food laws in the Old Testament. There's certain things you can't eat or you're unclean, On certain things now that you you really can't celebrate and hey like Sabbath like you shouldn't really be uh, doing that so much like you uh, like there's certain things that you have to do and certain things that you can't do these are the add-ons that they were bringing and Paul is going what are you talking about like what are you what are you talking about like these were shadows these were just shadows of the Christ that is to come why are you like Jesus is the one that makes you clean. He's the one that you remember, and the one that you celebrate, and the one that you find rest in. And so, what what are you letting them impose these things on you for? It's like if my wife were back there, uh, behind that that wall right there, and I saw a shadow coming out, and I thought, "Man, I bet that's my wife." I don't know how I would know, but imagine that I do know. Uh, And I go back, and I turn the corner, and I see my wife, and I'm like, "Hey, hey, baby, I'm I'm so glad it's you." Hey, here's what I need you. I need you to stand right here, because listen, Amanda, I like. Sweetheart, I, I find you attractive. Like I think you're beautiful. I want to look at you, but but like I mean, while you're okay, your shadow. Now that's where it's at. And so I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna stare at your shadow because I just think your shadow is just the most gort. Like no, I would never do that. Like I would I would never try to have some relationship with a shadow. Not with my wife. There. This is what he's saying. Christ is here. Why are you letting them take you back to the shadow? He's here. Now here's the deal. I. I don't think um, there are too many of us uh, in this room that uh, deal with the food laws of the Old Testament around here. I think we eat bacon and we like it, and uh, but I do think legalism is alive and well inside of our body, and I think this is the way it plays out for some of us, if not many of us. Many of us have these real strong expectations, these things that we think like, if if I'm doing these things, like God is happy with me, like I I do believe in Christ, like I love Christ, but 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 I know that God's not happy with me if I'm not doing X, Y, and Z. And listen, X, Y, and Z usually are good things to do. But but a lot of us think, man, like this is how I please God by doing and doing and doing and doing. It's it's the functional. I'm saved by grace, sanctified by works. And so what happens is. Uh, we, uh, we we wind up not being able to live up to our expectations, uh, and, and, and no one else lives up to them around us, and so we wind up really angry with ourselves, really frustrated, ongoing, just, just, I can never be enough, I can never do, and so we're always upset with ourselves, but then we also get cynical about the people around us, and we say things like, man, they're just, like, they're just not serious enough, like, or they're not mature enough, or, You know, if they were just more honest, like if they knew how to confess, like if they just knew how to confess some sin, they'd be like they would find what they're looking for. That's their problem, though they can't. We become angry at ourselves or cynical about the people around us. And both of them, both of them keep Jesus on the surface of our lives. And it puts a wall between our hearts and him. So warning one, legalism. Warning two, misplaced worship. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous minds, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. And so these guys were showing up, and they were saying, hey, listen, you... Um, you, you you've got to worship Christ, but you've also got to worship some angels. You're you're not really worthy of being in the presence of Christ, and so you need these this angelic help to um, to get you there. And I uh, and I don't think again that too many of us struggle with coming in here on Sundays, lifting our hands in song, and delighting in the angels around us. But I do think misplaced worship is a problem for all of us. I think it is the fundamental problem of the human condition, uh, myself included. All of us in this room have something, like something in our life uh, that we think is like supreme and like I have to have it and if I don't have this, like my life would never be the same. It, it, it could be from jobs to families to you name it, to so just the the one day, like the one date I want to go on. Like you you have something that you are giving yourself over to and I want you to feel the weight of what Paul says here when he opens this up, right? Because the last warning was, hey, don't, don't let judgment get passed on you. Like, don't receive the judgment. But how did this one start? Let no one what disqualify you. And listen, I, I can I, to be candid here, I, I don't want to be that Protestant evangelical preacher um, that says, hey, let me tell you what this doesn't mean, and it doesn't mean, and it doesn't mean. I want you to feel the weight of the warning right here. Like, you you take that thing that you think, man, I have to have this, and you give yourself over to it, and you watch what happens in 20 years. I, I want you to feel the weight of the warning in this passage that you might not give yourself over and worship other things other than Christ. I want you to feel the weight of it. Like You, you, you desperately need success in your career so that you'll have the esteem of the people around you, and that becomes a thing that is just governing and driving your life, watch where it leads in 20 years. And I want you tonight, here, now, under the weight of what Paul is saying, to feel the weight of the warning. To feel this. The fight of the Christian life is to make Christ the thing that we can't live without. Warning number two, misplaced worship. Warning number three, asceticism. And I'll explain that one when we get to it. Verse 20, if with Christ you died it to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according according to human precepts and teachings literally literally the commandments and teachings of men that's going to be important in a minute verse 23 these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh All right, so asceticism is this. Using a strict self-control for spiritual advancement. All right, using strict self-control for um, spiritual advancement. And now, this one requires a bit of nuance, does it not? Um, Because the scriptures at times uh, certainly condone and promote strict self-discipline at times, right? So think um, fasting, Matthew 6. Think uh, Paul, I, I might desire that some would be single, 1 Corinthians 7, maybe think bodily training uh, in 1 Timothy 4. So it's, it's certainly not something that's this universal um, strict self-discipline is evil. Um, so what's happening here? What's happening that Paul would use it like this? Um, G.K. Beale is probably my favorite current living theologian right now. And he says, here's what's happening. Paul uh, is quoting Isaiah 29, 13. And so Isaiah twenty nine thirteen says this, and the Lord said, Because his people, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment. This is the quote, is a commandment taught by men. In the old to New Testament translation Paul had that was the same wording saying, listen, this, these, this is where their minds would have flagged. And so this religious add-on, it's like, it's like delighting in God with your lips while your heart is far from Him. You want to add on it to Jesus, that's giving lip service to Jesus. And so discipline on the outside without a changed heart is not something God has ever been interested in. Ever. Not from the jump. Not from the word go. Never. And so let me, let me give you an example of how this might play out in our lives today and what, what the Lord might be after. Imagine I struggle with porn. I'm not saying I do. Imagine that I do. Imagine you do. And listen, by the way, um, let me pause and say this. I, I'm 38. I've been a pastor for a while now. I know this is not a male-only problem, ladies. Right? This is not a male illustration. All right? Imagine I do. And so I I go and I get a filter. I buy a computer filter. Um, That's good, right? And then I go and I get some accountability. Like I find some guy and we do like crunchy accountability, like the hard kind, where we get angry and we punch one another and then we hug and we cry after. Like it's serious. Like we're not messing around. These are good things, are they not? But if I do those things, but I don't then do the things that inflame my heart for Christ. I, I don't open the scriptures daily searching for Jesus in there hoping that my heart might be conformed i don't prioritize sunday so that i can come to the table and have my faith nourished in christ i if i don't i don't pray on a consistent basis hoping for intimacy with the lord searching for intimacy with christ but to just appease him if i don't do the things that inflame my heart then building those walls You know what it might do? It might stop me from looking at porn for a while, which is a good thing. Is it not? It's a good thing. But what is God after? He wants to change my desire for porn. He doesn't just want me to stop looking at it. He does want that. But He wants to go much farther. He wants my heart changed that I I might not desire that trash anymore. That's what He wants. He wants me to not desire to look at it. He wants my heart to be changed. He wants my heart to be conformed to him. And if I just put some walls up around me, it's good. But if I do walls without doing the work to conform my heart to Christ, listen, religion is a temporary, very, very roadblock, block in the path of sin. And so if I can summarize what Paul has been trying to say in this passage. It's this. If anyone comes to you and says, hey, listen, I, I've got the way, like I've got this path, spiritual development, spiritual maturity, but it doesn't have Christ as its center and Christ as its end, run, run. Or maybe, maybe more appropriate to our text today, resist, resist, resist. Resist. And so why does this matter? Like, why, Why does it matter that we are not a community of men and women who build walls and tag religion onto Jesus? Why does it matter that we're we're not that kind of community, but we're a heart-transformed, heart-conformed community to the person and work of Jesus? Here's why. How did Paul open the letter? Colossians, he opened it like this. Oh, that I thank my God for you. When I hear about your faith in Christ, your love for one another, and the hope that you have laid up in heaven. And here's what religion does. It undercuts our faith in Christ. It says, Christ is isn't enough and then it undercuts our love for one another it says you're not enough i'm not enough constant judgment of myself and those around me and then it says hey listen hope hope in tomorrow that's not where it's at it's about my religious performance today it undercuts faith hope love and so part of actively pursuing jesus means that we resist we resist religion the temptation to take externals and try to change my life with them. And here's the good news. And here's the news. And listen, I, you can. You can. Like you can. It's actually possible. He, fullness of deity dwells in him. You are filled in him. You can. It's possible you can. And I, listen, I need to repent before you and ask your forgiveness where I have preached too often to sound like you can't. Where I have given too much weight to Genesis 3 and not enough weight to the resurrection. You can. You can. You can. Fullness of deity in Him. Full, your life filled in. You have the life of Christ in you. You can. So, how do I, Brandon? How do I? Besides resisting. What do I do? What's my action plan, Brandon? That's next week. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we love you. We thank you for the reality that we have the life of Christ in us. We can. That we can resist all temptation to add on to Jesus. We, we, We can resist the temptation to say Jesus plus because we know now that Jesus plus really is Jesus minus. We take away from him. We don't add on to him. And so I do pray uh, for the man or woman in the room right now who, uh, who, who's sitting there and saying, listen, I, I hear you, man, like live from acceptance, not for, but I, I don't feel like I'm, accept- like, I don't know that I'm accepted by God. In fact, I really doubt that I am. I pray that they would know that what's on the table today, what's offered in Christ is the chance to know. The chance to know and be assured that you've been accepted by God and live in light of that acceptance. And so I pray that we might find Jesus incredibly freeing tonight. And I pray that we might see the shackles of religion for what they are. um, A really glorious lie. May we never, with our functional lives, say Jesus isn't enough. May we never try to add on. May we rest in the life that we've been given. In Christ's name, amen.